Hey guys. So uh, if you don't know this about me already, let me just tell you that in my humble and correct opinion, the greatest movie ever made is a little movie called The Princess Bride. And, and in this movie, if you haven't seen it, then I don't know how you can call yourself a Christian. But anyways, if you haven't seen it, here's what happens. There's a little boy at the beginning of the movie. He's homesick. He's in bed. And uh, his grandfather, Peter Falk, comes over and gives him a gift. And when he unwraps the gift, what he finds is that it's a book. And he's extremely disappointed, as any little boy would be, in receiving a book. And he's like, a book? And the, and the grandfather says, it's not just any book. This is a book that my father used to read to me when I was sick. And I used to read it to your father when he was sick. And now I'm going to read it to you while you're sick. And the boy's response is, is there any sports in it? And he says, fencing, fighting, Monsters, giants, miracles, true love. And the kid says, well, maybe it's okay. This book is absolutely filled with amazing stories. Stories of giants and miracles and battles and love stories and disasters and festivals and victories and, and failures and shame and brokenness and joy and hope and life and death and all of that kind of stuff bound up in the pages of this book that we call the Bible. It is a great storybook. And every one of the stories has something to teach us. And by the way, all that it teaches us is true. And there are some stories in the Bible that are so impactful, some stories in the Bible that are so absolutely life-changing that we, that we set aside specific times every year to come back and go, boy, we need to focus on this because this really, really matters. Well, this is December, and this is the Christmas story. It's a story that we've all heard. It's a story that we can all repeat in one way or another. There's a, there's a miraculous pregnancy. The child is the son of God. There'll be no room for them in the end. He'll be born in the most humble of circumstances. He'll be laying in a manger, and yet... Though he is so humble, angels will come and rejoice. Wise men will come and bring gifts and bow down as the story unfolds right before our eyes. And you know the story. And that's just it. You know the story. And, and that's what makes it difficult for me. Every year at Christmas, we have these special Christmas movies that we like to watch. And and. Uh, raise your hand if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life at least 10 times, right? And, and so imagine you're watching It's a Wonderful Life and you're watching it with someone who's never seen it before. 
And there's this scene and it's snowing and the guy's on the bridge and suddenly there's a guy in the water and you go, you want to say to your friend, don't worry, it's not a guy, it's an angel and he's going to come and he's going to fix everything. Don't worry, don't worry because you know the story. In fact, you can have the movie on while you're cooking and baking and wrapping presents and vacuuming the living room and it could just be on in the background and you could still be enjoying it because you're so incredibly familiar with it. And that is the problem for us with the real Christmas story is that it is so familiar to us that it can easily just play in the background of our Christmas season and not be central to what we're doing. And my job, which is extremely difficult every December, is to somehow open this book and show you this story in a way that it captures your attention and holds your attention even when you walk out of this room. And believe me, it is hard enough to hold your attention just while I'm preaching, let alone to hold your attention Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on throughout the week. And so that's my job, is to try to help you get so focused on the story of Christmas, the Jesus of Christmas, that the tinsel and the lights and the music don't distract you from the truth. So that's the challenge today. And we're going to dig in for the rest of this month to the Christmas story. But you see, the Christmas narrative is not just a story, it's a collection of stories. And, and all those stories add up to one amazing story, and that amazing story changes everything. And it's not just an ancient story, it's your story. And it's still being written today. So, let's think about it. When you think of the Christmas story, I wonder where it starts in your mind. You could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you could start there where God makes a statement and where he says, listen, the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent one day. And the first Christmas prophecy comes forth right there at the beginning of the book of Genesis. Or you could go maybe as far back as say, I don't know, Abraham. And God goes to Abraham and he calls him out of this land of pagans. And he says, listen, if you will follow me and walk with me by faith, then not only will I make you a great nation, but through you, all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And he's referring to the coming Messiah. You could turn to the Old Testament prophets. Almost every one of the prophets has something to say about the fact that God is never going to just throw his hands up and give up on his people. But despite all of our waywardness, despite all of our difficulty, despite all the times when we go our own way, God is going to love us so much that the day will come, he says to ancient Israel, when I will send my son and you know what he'll do? He will set the captives free. He will bring sight to the blind. He will heal the sick and raise the dead, and he will make a way for us. You could do any of those things, but for this year, I want to start with what I'm calling the story before the story. And again, you know the story. The angel announces that there's going to be an unexpected pregnancy. There's a very special woman who's been chosen for this special pregnancy, and her name is? Mary. 
wrong. See, I told you, you didn't know the story. Her name is not Mary. We're talking about the story before this story. Now, if you keep coming back on Sundays, chances are you're going to hear something about Mary as well. But, but when we think of Christmas, we don't always think about the story before the story. So you ready to hear it? There was a one in 20,000 chance that he would even find himself in this situation. One in 20,000, and yet here he was. His name had been picked out of the hat, if you will, among all the priests of his uh, division. And one out of 20,000, and they chose his name. And as he made his way up the cut stone walkway, he must have been moving very slowly because the scripture is going to tell us he was very far advanced in years. And as he's walking slowly, he's holding in his hands a golden bowl. And this bowl is getting warmer as he walks because inside of the bowl are some of the coals from the offering that has been made on Israel's behalf. And some incense will be added to that bowl. And his job now, as all of the nations surrounding the temple courts stands and watches, is he is to make his way up with his hands sweating and shaking toward that part of the temple that none of them had ever been to. He goes through the court of the Gentiles. He goes through the court of the women. He goes through the court of the Jews. And now he's getting to that inter sanctum of the temple where nobody ever goes. In fact, only one priest is chosen every year for this special opportunity to actually go into the place that they call the Holy of Holies. This is the place where the Ark of the Covenant once sat. Now, by this time, the Ark of the Covenant has already disappeared. We don't know what happened to it. We don't know where it is. I think Indiana Jones is still looking for it. I don't know. But by this time, it's already gone, but the Holy of Holies is still there in the temple, and there is still a veil there, and there is still this place, which is the place of sacrifice where the presence of God rests. And he is allowed to go, chosen to go, honored to go behind the veil into this place. And tradition, historical tradition tells us that when that special priest would go into that place, there was such a reverence for God and such a concern about the sinfulness of man that they would literally tie a rope around his waist so that if he got into the presence of God and he was unworthy and God struck him dead, they would be able to pull him out by the rope and they wouldn't have to go back there and take their own chances. This is where Zacharias was invited to go with that bowl in his hands on this day. And he was honored, but he must have been terrified. And Zacharias undoubtedly felt the weight of the moment as he carefully walked toward that inner chamber. He must have thought a thousand thoughts about what would happen once he got back there. But I promise you, none of those thoughts prepared him for what was about to happen. Let's let the Bible tell the story. I want you to join me in the book of Luke. 
if, you're, if your Bible is divided into two parts, the New Testament and the Old Testament, the New Testament is in the back, and it begins with Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. So go to Luke with me, chapter 1, third book of your New Testament, and we're going to pick this up at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. But, let's stop there. We have Zacharias, he comes from the division of Abijah. In other words, he is of priestly descent, which is why he's chosen for this role, one in 20,000. And then we have his wife, Elizabeth, who is of the daughters of Aaron, which means she too is of the priestly line. And they are two people, according to this passage, who have been dedicated to the Lord all of their lives. They, they have a lot of good stuff said about them. And then the word but. They had all this great stuff going, but they had a big but. <laughs> One T. One T. And I, and I love the honesty of the Bible I, I bet that so many of us can relate to this as we meet these people who are about to become Bible heroes to us. And it says they were righteous, they were of the right family, they were of priestly descent, they loved God, they were good people, they had all of their religious ducks in a row, but, and I wonder how many of us can really relate to that. You know, I, I really love God. I really do. I really, I really want to live for his glory, but I'm in this dead-end job where they're always putting pressure on me to, to compromise my morals and all of that and the stress of my job and I need the money and I'd love to serve God with all of my heart, but... Or, or you know, I really love God. I really want to live for his glory, but my health is such that it seems like I'm never really well enough to do the things I want to do to serve him. Heck, I can't even get up and get to church half the time. I'm struggling with my health so much. I'd love to, to be closer to God, but I, I, I really love God. I, I really want to live for his glory, but I've got these kids who are driving me nuts. And, and, and they're, they're just teetering right on the edge of, of falling off the cliff, and I am losing it as I try to think about all I can do is focus on just how to keep them out of jail, out of trouble, off of drugs. I don't know what to do. I'd love to make God the focus of my life, but I have this other issue. I, I, I really love God. I really love to live for his glory, but... Fill in the blank. Their but was very specific. They had no children, verse seven. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. They had no children. 
And like Abraham and Sarah, they were way too old to have children now. And even when they were young, it wouldn't have mattered because Elizabeth was barren. But also like Abraham and Sarah, God was about to rock their world because he had an incredible plan for their lives that they couldn't have possibly seen, known, or understand. And if he told them about it, they wouldn't have believed it anyway. They, they were struggling all this time. It says they kept walking with God. They kept serving God. They kept loving God. They were religious people. They were godly people. They were good people. But they were struggling their whole lives. And I know we read about this today and we're like, okay, a lot of people don't have children. It's not the end of the world. There, it was the end of the world. In that culture, to be a man who had no heir meant that the light of your existence went out when you died. Everything was measured not in terms of what you owned or what you accomplished or what your name was on. It was all measured in terms of your posterity, those who came behind you. And therefore, to be a woman who was married and did not provide children to your husband was the ultimate shame. It was the ultimate brokenheartedness. It was the ultimate disappointment. And that was their situation. They love God with all their hearts, but now they're old. And any hope of having a child is really now beyond them. But they didn't realize the plan God had for their lives. It kind of reminds me of, um, in John chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 9, There's this man who is born blind and Jesus heals him and the disciples pull Jesus aside and they said, we're we're curious, Lord. Um, This man's blindness, was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? After all, he was born blind. And Jesus says, it was not because of anyone's particular sin, but it was for the glory of God. So that the glory of God might be manifested, God allowed this man to be blind from birth to adulthood. And we look at that and we're like, wow, Lord, that's kind of harsh. That's like 40 years of blindness. What's that all about? And we lack the perspective because to us, 40 years is a long time. But God lives outside of time. And so we lack this perspective. It was in order to show the power and glory of God in this life. It was in order order so that this man could experience a blessing that he never would have been able to experience in any other way. Guys, let's just be honest. It is hard when you're struggling and you don't know why. It can really challenge your faith. If God is so good, if God even exists, why do my prayers bounce off the ceiling? I I read about healing, but I don't get healed. I, I, I see other healthy marriages, but my marriage is falling apart. I see other people succeeding and reaching their goals, but I always seem to stumble. And it is really challenging to your faith. But you guys, sometimes God has plans that I know nothing about. And he promises. This is a God, by the way, who cannot break a promise. And he promises that he will never lose sight of us. 
He promises that he cares about our struggles. In fact, it says in 1 Peter, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. He cares for you. But sometimes, and he almost never explains it, but sometimes he allows us to struggle so that he can somehow use that struggle for his glory and our good. And, and for many of us, let's just call it what it is. The holiday season is bittersweet at best because we're hurting. We're hurting because of some disappointment that becomes more prominent at this time. We're hurting because of someone who is not here with us at this time, we're hurting because of the brokenness of relationships at this time. For many of us, the holiday season brings a special brand of pain, a special level of pain because we're going through this or that or because of who's here or not here with us. And God says, that's how I start a great Christmas story. And as we launch this Christmas season, I just want to remind you that your story is not finished yet. God knows your heart. Friends, God sees your struggle. And he has gigantic plans for your life. You just haven't reached the end of the story yet. Elizabeth was barren, it says. And they were both advanced in age. It doesn't give us their age in the scripture, but uh, history tells us that at this time, they believe that Elizabeth was in her late 80s and, and, and that Zacharias was in his early 90s. We're not talking about somebody whose biological clock is ticking. We're talking about somebody who has no batteries in her biological clock. <laughs> Okay, we're, we're talking about people who decades ago said, we are past the point. We should stop crying about this. We should stop hurting about this. We should stop praying about this. But have you noticed you can't make yourself stop hurting about things? And they're old and they're barren. And all of logic told them this was the end of their story. But it turns out their Christmas story is just beginning. And, there, and there's a biblical principle that's illustrated here in the lives of, of good old Zach and Beth that, that holds true in our lives today. So if the Christmas story is really going to be our story, we better learn this lesson. Are you ready? Here it is. The story involves our obedience. The story that God is trying to write in your life right now involves your obedience. Abraham, we talked about him earlier, he was called by God. You know what he had to do in order to experience the promise of God's blessing? He had to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to a place where he did not know where he was going. 
you know, Noah at some point had to actually get out a hammer and nails and a saw and some wood and start building a boat. And, and Moses had to actually walk away from that burning bush and cross the border into Egypt and walk right into Pharaoh's palace and stick his finger in his face and challenge him in the name of God. He had to do those things. When God has a plan for our lives, he invites us to trust him and obey him. And, and Luke 1.6 tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth had a track record of obedience to God. And it was in the context of that lifetime of obedience and faithfulness that God injected a miracle into their lives. And I wonder how many of us are so ready for a new story to begin in our lives. But we're not being faithful in the story we're in. Have we forgotten that the scripture says, he who is faithful in little things will be entrusted with much? Don't just sit there waiting for God to start a new story in your life. Instead, focus on being faithful and obedient to God in the midst of your current story because you guys, God is not finished with you yet but he works in the midst of our faithfulness. Zacharias and Elizabeth were walking with God. They're striving to please him, and God says, that's where I'm gonna start this story. And by the way, just a quick aside, in that culture, when a man is married to a woman who could not have children, he had every right to either divorce her or to marry a second, younger, and more fertile wife. But verse 6 doesn't tell us that they were righteous in the eyes of their culture. And it doesn't tell us that they did what made the most sense to them. It says that they were righteous in the eyes of God. And, And our society today says a lot of things. And it says, this is okay, and that's okay, and you shouldn't prioritize this. Instead, you ought to prioritize that. It tells us that we ought to put ourselves first and push ourselves ahead, and that, and that our comfort matters more than anything. And it's not about being right in the eyes of the culture. It's about being right in the eyes of God. And these folks were righteous in the eyes of God, and so he doesn't divorce her. He doesn't marry another woman. Instead, he trusts God that God has a plan and God looks at that suffering couple and says, this is where I'm gonna start my story. This is where I'm gonna start the greatest and most magnificent story ever told. And some of you I know as this year draws to a close are hoping for a new script for 2023. Let me just remind you that when God starts a great story in our lives, it always involves our obedience. By the way, just a few months later, we're going to read about another shocking and scandalous pregnancy. 
This time we're talking about a teenage girl who is betrothed but not yet married, and she turns up pregnant with a crazy story to tell about how this happened. And she has a fiance slash husband named Joseph who has at that point not every right but every responsibility to kick her to the curb and go, when your girlfriend does this, she's out. And God chose Joseph every bit as much as he chose Mary, because Joseph is a man who said, I will do what is right in the eyes of God, regardless of what's right in the eyes of my culture. It's not about our rights. It's about God's glory. God starts his greatest stories in the lives of those who are willing to be faithful and obedient to his word. So speaking of his word, let's get back to it. Verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. I've already explained it to you. He was chosen one out of 20,000 on this day to go and be the one who would represent the entire nation of Israel. The whole multitude of people has gathered for this special worship service and he's gonna go and burn incense and you're like, what's with the incense? What is that all about? Did you notice we sang about that in the song today? That day and night, night and day, let incense arise. What are these incense? Is this some hippie thing that we're doing or what's that all about? You know what? In, in Judaism, they burned incense and they had this special time of burning incense on behalf of the entire nation and those incense were lifted to heaven and they represent the prayers and the needs of the people of the nation. And so when he goes into the temple to burn incense, he is going in representing the entire nation and asking on their behalf for God's blessing. And by the way, that high priestly prayer, I don't know what all it involved because it doesn't give us the details of the prayer, but I promise you this, every year when the priest went in to make that prayer, he prayed for at least two things. One is the deliverance of Israel. And the other is the coming of the Messiah. And those two things are married. And he's praying for those things. But nothing he did to get ready for this sacred moment could have actually prepared him for what was about to happen. Verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Yeah, I guess. They had tied a rope around his waist. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. What would your first thought have been? Fear gripped him. And and, and I love, we'll get to this in a second, but I, I love the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. First thing, which is what angels always say, right? The angel shows up, read your stories in the Bible, find an angelic appearance to a person, and what is the first words out of the mouth of the angel every time? Don't freak out, dude. Don't freak out. <laughs> it's, it is gonna be okay, right? And, and so he's, he's concerned, and, and we're always afraid. People, when they see angels, are always afraid. 
And the angels always say, fear not, right? Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Why is it that people are always afraid? Because we have reason to be afraid. Because we know we're sinners. And now the obvious um, eminence of the holiness of God becomes um, irrefutable. And suddenly you're like, oh no, the, the one who knows every detail of my heart is looking me in the eye in the person of this angel. And we know that God would be completely within the bounds of justice if he just stepped on us and squished us like a bug. And so the angel says to him, don't be afraid. He wasn't there to condemn Zacharias. He was there to bless him, which by the way, I could preach a whole series on. God's not chasing you so he can squash you. He's chasing you so he can save you. God is not after you because he wants to hurt you. God is after you because he wants to bless you. What does it say in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our God. And so he sends this angel to Zacharias. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Your prayers have been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you'll give him the name John. You'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's yet in the mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he will go, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." So he's offered this priestly prayer, which whatever else it involved, it's hard for me to picture that he went in there at the age of 90-something, and his prayer was, dear Lord, could you just give us a child this year? I don't think that's what his prayer was. I don't think he was selfishly focused when he went in to represent all the people of Israel. I think his prayer was, God, send a Messiah and deliver us. Deliver your people. And the angel comes and says, your prayer has been answered. And he's speaking of the coming of the Messiah. Oh, and by the way, the other prayer, the one you stopped praying 50 years ago, I heard that one too, God says. And that prayer is being answered as well. And, the, and, and that part about the prayers being answered has to be music to his ears, but it's the rest of the statement that leaves him scratching his head. Now, you've heard this story before, so it doesn't seem weird to you, but put yourself in Zacharias' shoes. This is the craziest thing he has ever heard. And it's not that he thinks God is lying. It's just that his perspective has no room for what he's being told. And he's confused. I think he believes God. I think he trusts God. It's just that this makes absolutely no sense to him. And so his thought is, I must be misunderstanding. This can't be right. (laughs) It's the funniest thing, Gabriel. I thought you said my wife's gonna have a son. (laughs) That couldn't have been what you said, right? Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, 
How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I like that. He calls himself old, but he's not saying that about his wife. <laughs> she's, she's getting along in years, he says. She's mature. <laughs> and, and, and we've seen this played out in our scripture before, and so we're not freaked out by it, but oh, how much he must have been confused. And do you see where he's coming from? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. This can't be right. I must have misunderstood. And I love the way the angel answers. This is funny to me. I don't know. I'm weird. This is funny to me. Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. He says, okay, uh, Zach, now that you've had a chance to tell me about who you are, let me tell you about who I am. And I, I don't know what happened, but I'm guessing that was probably the point when he spread out his wings. <laughs> and he's like, um, you want to know where I was 10 minutes ago? I was standing at the throne of God in the presence of God himself. God, who, by the way, made you. God who, by the way, made your wife. God who, by the way, controls wombs and controls kings and controls nations and controls everything. And I stand in his presence day and night. And you dare to question God? <laughs> and I'm just thinking if I was him, I would have been like, no, 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 I didn't mean that. <laughs> And, and I bet he would have, except he couldn't talk. All of a sudden, he's like, oh. he can't talk. And, and, and you see, Zacharias is so caught up in his current situation that he can't see the power of God. And guys, I, it seems like I talk about this all the time. But the biggest mistake we make as believers is when we evaluate God in light of our circumstances instead of seeing our circumstances in light of who God is. God is God. And faith is about trusting God's word, not our circumstances. And that's where God starts a new story in our lives. Look at verse 21. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at the delay in the temple. They're like, should we pull the rope? We should probably pull the rope. <laughs> but when he came out, he wasn't able to speak to them. And they realized that they had a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now just, I only have a second here, but here, here's what would normally happen in this ceremony. This priest would come out and all the people would have filled all the courtyards of the temple and they would be waiting. And the priest would come out and stand on this ledge and he would shout a shout of praise to the people and the people would respond with a shout. But instead we had a game of charades. And he comes out and he's like, and they're like, uh, uh, first syllable, I don't know, what is this? 
And, and, and he's trying to communicate, but he can't speak. Somehow, God, God thought, I can, I can show my glory if I could get that guy to shut up. <laughs> Go ahead. Think about it for a minute. And, and, and he, he allowed him to be mute until the day the child was born. And more about that later. But the stories go on from there. There'll be uh, another miraculous pregnancy. There will be other angelic visits. There will be more people who don't know what to say and don't know what to do. But for now... We have this beautiful picture of how God starts a life-changing story, the greatest story ever told. And some of us are struggling right now. And some of us are having trouble trusting right now. And I just want to be a voice of encouragement to you and say God sees you. God knows what you're going through. God cares about your struggle. But God has a perspective that you lack. And as we head forward into the festivities of the holiday season, some of us are having a hard time just making it through from day to day. And God says, I know you don't understand, but I haven't lost sight of you. I know this is hard, but if you'll trust me, you'll experience the miraculous in your life, and it probably won't be the way you expect it. And I know you can't see it now, says God, but I'm starting a new story in your life right now. Just trust me, just obey me, and I'll show you my glory. Isn't it about time to let God take over the writing of your story? I'm convinced that where you are right now is where he intends to start. And all you have to do is trust him. Let's stand together and pray. Our gracious Father, as we, as we look at this story unfolding in the lives of these dear people, we're so thankful. They're not perfect, but they're devoted to you. And your response to that is to include them in the greatest story ever told. And Lord, I know that that's not unique to them. I know that you intend that for all of us. And so I pray that you would help us to just trust you. I know our culture says otherwise. I know our personal wisdom says otherwise. I know that our friends and confidants might say otherwise, but your word says we can trust you. Let us be people who stand firmly on the rock of Christ as we hold your word in our hands and proclaim it as truth in our lives. Father, write a new story. Start where we are. And let it bring you glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.